This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is Good Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston. I'm the co-host of this program. The other co-host, Charlie, is still missing. But from what I hear, there's rumors circulating, uh, unfounded. I, I don't know where they're coming from. What I hear, he might have been found and he could be returning as early as tomorrow. So we'll see. Maybe we could have a nice Thursday surprise with Mr. Charles Chuck Thompson. Well, it's White Pill Wednesday. That's the day of the week where we try our hardest to talk about good things that are going on. Sometimes we talk about technological developments. We talk a lot about climate change and uh, different things, that other ways that we found that we can produce energy uh, that would be better than the current goals that we're pursuing at the moment. We talk about a lot of stuff like that. We also go through the political spectrum and any wins that have occurred or wins that might be occurring. And so I just wanted to pinpoint a few things that are on the horizon or that have happened in the last couple of days that are pretty good. Maybe let you know that it's not all bad. I know we talk about a lot of bad stuff, but it's not all bad. And so that's what we're going through today. And by the way, if you want to hang out live, you can go to joingmail.com. And if you can't spring for the six bucks a month, then you can watch this video later on on our YouTube channel. Thank you. The very first thing is brought to us by Elon Musk taking control of Twitter. I've got two fact checks here. We already mentioned one of them earlier in the week, but it's White Pill Wednesday, so I'm going to mention it again. And then we had another development today with another fact check on Twitter. And I'm just so excited for this new world that Elon Musk has brought forward. The first one that we've already talked about. President Biden says, let me give you the facts. In 2020, 55 corporations made $40 billion and they paid zero in federal taxes. My Inflation Reduction Act puts an end to this. The fact check that was added on Twitter was that the Inflation Reduction Act imposed a minimum tax on corporations with average pre-tax earnings greater than $1 billion. Of the 55 corporations that President Biden mentioned, only 14 of those companies had earnings that would qualify them for that new minimum corporate tax. So just a little bit of, I don't know if you call it misinformation, misleading, you could say, adding a little bit of context to this current statement. So that's one that we already talked about. Let's go to the other really cool one that happened. So here's a tweet from the White House, and I'm sure you've seen this around Twitter plenty today. Here's what the White House said. Seniors are getting the biggest increase in their social security checks in 10 years through President Biden's leadership. So seniors getting the biggest increase in their social security checks in 10 years through President Biden's leadership. The context added on Twitter. Seniors will receive a large social security benefit increase due to the annual cost of living adjustment. 
which is based on the inflation rate. President Nixon, in 1972, signed into law automatic benefit adjustments tied to the Consumer Price Index. So they did two things here, which was really great. One, they said this is from a law in 1972 that says they had to raise your Social Security benefits because it's tied to the CPI. The other thing they said is uh, they did receive a large increase, and that's because the cost of living went up so much. And so those two things combined together led the White House to delete that tweet. And that's great. Here's a tweet from the Daily Wire saying the White House deleted the tweet. Love the new Twitter. (laughs) Bob McShay says, I love this so much. I love it too. This is awesome. The White House literally deleted a tweet because they got a fact check on it from Twitter. Two weeks ago, this would not have happened. They just would have posted this. It would have had thousands of retweets. A bunch of people would have seen it. They would have believed it. Now, a bunch of people already did. They probably just think that Musk is trying to sow discontent with the U.S. government and try to hurt President Biden and the left, whatever, trying to own the libs. But they ended up deleting it. That's great. One, because it's not true that because of President Biden's leadership, they raised it. They're legally obligated to raise it. And how much do they have to raise it by? It's tied to the CPI which is at the highest it's been in the last 40 years. And they were bragging about it before someone called them out on it. That's amazing. That's a white pill to me. And like I said, last time we talked about this, man, that makes my job a lot easier because we've been doing this kind of thing for a couple of years now. And now Twitter itself is doing that. That's awesome. Now, yesterday I had a guest on and we talked a lot about the DHS leaks. And the day before that, I mentioned those as well. The Intercept posted this article. I hope that there's more information to come. I hope it's like a drip, drip campaign like we have with the uh, Edward Snowden thing. I don't know whether or not it will be, but they basically broke the story about the official tie between big tech and the government. And even so far as Facebook creating a portal that government officials could log into and request specific posts to be taken down or flagged as misinformation. This is gross. Uh, This is, in my opinion, it's a clear principle violation of the First Amendment, although legally they might be able to get away from it because they haven't made uh, specific threats as to what they would do if they don't follow along with this. They've just done other threats like, oh, hey, you know, I think your company's too big. We should break you up or we should put a bunch of regulations on you. But, hey, there's this post here. Looks like disinformation or misinformation. You want to take that down? Well, as long as you stay in their good graces, maybe they won't do those things to your company. And so that's the problem with all the regulatory power the government has over these companies. They are able to control them. Well, anyway, all that aside, we already talked a lot about this. The ACLU. You guys remember them, ACLU? The, they, they tweeted this story from The Intercept, and they said, the First Amendment bars the government from deciding for us what is true or false online or anywhere. Our government can't use private pressure to get around our constitutional rights. From the ACLU. What? Now, 30, 40 years ago, you would have expected this kind of thing from the ACLU. Maybe even when the Snowden story broke, you probably saw a lot of cool stuff. But lately you've seen a bit of a different tune from the ACLU. And the former uh, 
president, I guess, or whatever they call it at the ACLU, was was quoted in the Intercept article saying that if another country was doing what our country is doing, we would say that this was uh, authoritarian. And so that's good. We want to see people, I know that they're not perfect. I know that they're not doing this all the time. They've gone sideways on a lot of issues. But they've also got a lot of followers that need to hear this kind of thing. And I hope this story gets a lot bigger than what it is right now. So now we're going to get into a little bit more complicated story. The decision has not been made yet. So there's there's a couple good white pills there to start off. Well, the decision's not been made yet, but the Supreme Court's been hearing arguments about affirmative action and specifically affirmative action for college admissions. Now, personally and morally, I think that affirmative action is wrong. I think that people should not get in or be held out on the basis of their race. I think that that is exactly the opposite of the direction we're supposed to be going as a country. But it looks like that could get turned around, at least for college admissions. And depending on the way that they rule, it could go further than that. We'll see. It's going to be a bit before we actually get the ruling. This article from Fox News lays out a little bit about what's going on right now. The Supreme Court experts say the justices are likely to bar the use of affirmative action in college admissions. The court heard two similar cases on the use of race in college admissions at Harvard and at the University of North Carolina. In a nearly five-hour session, an activist group called Students for Fair Admissions brought both cases and seemed to have more justices on its side. Alito was pressing the, uh, the lawyer uh, for, for uh, Harvard on why it is that Asian American students regularly receive lower personal scores on their applications than other races. Waxman talked around the questions. Alito got frustrated. Alito said, I still haven't heard any explanation on why you're doing this. And then basically the lawyer lawyer, uh, was kind of being a D-bag about this whole thing. He even went so far as to say, this is a a ridiculous, ridiculous analogy. But uh, he admitted race was decisive for some highly qualified applicants, just like being an oboe player in a year in which the Harvard Radcliffe Orchestra needs an oboe player. Yeah, so it's a really great analogy, right? Like, yeah, we've got to pick a black person because this year Harvard needs a black person. and specifically it, right? No, that's a really terrible. And actually, Robert's shot back at that. He said that we didn't fight a civil war about oboe players. So I wanted to go through a little bit of this um, Gaslight NBC article just to show you some of a uh, little bit of the ridiculous takes on this and one specific take that they go into. I know it's White Pill Wednesday. But we're going to round it out with the white pill side of this whole thing. MSNBC, who we normally call Gaslight NBC, actually is accusing the cases as being a crash course in gaslighting. So these people are gaslighting everyone. That's rich coming from them. That's the pot calling the kettle a gaslighter, if you ask me. The organization leading the conservative movement's latest efforts to dismantle race-conscious school admissions is in both cases holding up Asian American students as victims of affirmative action policies. But as NBC News has reported, an overwhelmingly majority of Asian Americans support these policies. More on that here in just a moment after we get through the article. Nonetheless, Justice Clarence Thomas, who has acknowledged that affirmative action policies factored into his admission at Yale, claimed not to understand the value, the value of diversity. 
Here's what Clarence Thomas had to say. He said, I didn't go to racially diverse schools, but there were educational benefits. And I'd like you to tell me expressly when a parent sends the kids to college that they don't necessarily send them there to have fun or feel good or anything like that. They send them there to learn physics or chemistry or whatever they're studying. So tell me what the educational benefits are. After that, MSNBC says that Thomas ignores the fact that race-conscious policies helped him gain access to those educational benefits that he received. I wanted to point out the fact that Thomas went to Yale in 1974. And I feel like, that, I feel like that's pretty important. I don't know. What is that? 48 years? F 48 years ago? I'm pretty sure. So maybe we're in a little bit different situation. And it's very, very nuanced whether or not you could say that we really needed these policies at that time because of the state that the country was in. We still needed them in 1974 if they were ever a really good idea, if they were ever something that anyone should be enforcing. Now, on a trickier part of this conversation, in a situation that I know we're not exactly in, I will say a, a, a private institution, a truly private institution, I think should be able to choose people based on whatever they want. And that includes race. I, I, I do. I think it's their place and they can decide who goes there. Little bit trickier when it comes to a public institution like the University of North Carolina or even Harvard. The government is so deep inside of our education system, so much money going towards the education system. The, yeah, at some point you say, well, the government is funding so much of all of this and, uh, you know, fronting people's loans and all that. Well, then they're going to have to adhere to stuff in the Constitution, you would say. I'm just, it's, it's a difficult conversation to have because I do think that people should choose people based on whatever qualifications they want. But at what point does it become almost a government institution that's doing that? And can the government pick people with your money? based on that. That's a whole other question. So in the last paragraph here, they say affirmative action has been repeatedly upheld by the courts, including the one hearing it now. The only difference, the only one that matters is Republicans have stacked the court with willful pawns and their white supremacist mission, which means no matter the argument, they're almost certain to roll back civil rights and provide a legal basis for schools to ignore and even reject diversity as a priority. Now, because they know that there is another minority involved here, and that's Asians who are being discriminated against by these colleges, they haven't so much argued that that should be the case, that they should be able to do this. What they're now arguing for is that diversity is very important. We, we have to protect the civil rights of diversity itself, as if diversity is a protected class somehow. That's really the argument that they're going towards right now. I don't think it's going to work. Earlier in the article, I told you that they said, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Don't you wish life came with a user manual? I know I've needed that many times in the past, but unfortunately, we don't get that user manual. You're just sort of left to figure it out on your own and hope you're making the best decisions. Maybe it's a career change, a relationship. Maybe you're a new parent. It's pretty easy to feel very stuck. Well, we don't have that user manual, but we do have BetterHelp. Therapists can help you figure out that whole stuck feeling, help you build better coping skills and work through your tough decisions. Now, I've done therapy before. In fact, some of the best life changes I've made came while I was talking to a therapist. It was tough at the time, and I know I didn't want to do it. 
I didn't know how it was going to work out, but I am glad that I did it. It's not really about a therapist making your decisions for you, by the way. It's about becoming a healthier version of yourself so you can make the best decisions on your own. As I've mentioned before, our co-host, Charlie, is a consistent user of BetterHelp as well. He loves it, and I know BetterHelp is helping him make it through the tough times. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com gml. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash gml an overwhelming majority of asian americans support these policies that is a very complicated statement because polls are very different based on the question that is asked i wanted to show you a few differences this is the poll that they link to and this comes from an institution called asian americans advancing justice this question is do you favor or oppose affirmative action programs designed to help People, women, and other minorities get better access to higher education. So do you, do you support affirmative action in order to help minorities get better access to higher education? Well, overall, Asian Americans, 70% favor. So they say an overwhelming majority favor this. There is a really big difference, though, when you ask the question differently. And 538 covered this. They covered three different ways that they asked this question. So... Here's one here at the bottom. Would you support or oppose an affirmative action program for higher education that increases the share of black and Hispanic students? 37% say that they would support it. How about do you generally support or oppose affirmative action in college admission? 35% of people said that they would support it. And then they ask, would you support or oppose an affirmative action program that decreases the share of Asian and white students at selective institutions? Only 19% of the people supported that, even though essentially all three of those are the same thing. Because if you're going to increase the share of one race, then de facto decreasing the share of another race through your selective process. They all mean the same thing, but the questions are asked differently. Here's the one that I think is really uh, is a really good poll. Maybe I'm biased on it. I don't know. Pure Pew Research did this poll, and I was actually able to go in and look at how they asked the question and who they asked the question of, how those respondents responded, as the other one where they said 70% of Asian Americans uh, support affirmative action. I couldn't go into the details on it at all. On this one, I could. So this is the percentage who say that each of the following should be a factor in college admission decisions. So either a major or minor or not a factor. So race or ethnicity, should it be a factor in college admission decisions? For blacks that responded, 59% said that it should not be a factor. Hispanic, 68% said it should not be a factor. Asian, 63% said it should not be a factor. Republican, 87% said it should not be a factor. And even Democrat, 62% said that it should not be a factor. Overall, for all the respondents, 74% said that race or ethnicity should not be a factor in determining college admissions. 
Now, why is all of this in a white pill right now? I consider this to be a really good thing, that a majority of people would think that this is a bad idea. Even the groups that this is claiming to help say that this is a bad idea. I think that this right now is hurting the country overall. We could debate whether or not in the 60s and the 70s, this was something that had to be done because so many of these institutions were so racist, no one had a chance to get ahead. And we can probably find a few ways uh, that the government messed some stuff in there as well. But right now, today, I think people know that this is actually a detriment to our society, that this actually causes a lot of resentment between people. And it kind of shows you that we could be pulling back, and you see this in all kinds of other polls as well, races around the country, like, I mean, political races around the country, that people are kind of pulling back from this 2020 black square anti-racism, everybody is racist type mentality because they see that there are actually really important things that they can really see right here in front of their face that are going on. Even so much as the uh, minorities that these policies claim to help are saying, nah, nah, I don't think that this is a good idea. All right. Stuff's looking pretty bad right now. So I take that to be a pretty good sign. I wanted to read you from the Wall Street Journal um, this piece that's actually written by the uh, person who runs the Students for Fair Admissions. So that's those are the people that have brought this all the way to the Supreme Court. So is it going to be biased a little bit? Yeah, this is not the Wall Street Journal speaking. They published an opinion piece from the person who is taking this all the way to the Supreme Court. In 2014, Students for Fair Admissions sued Harvard, the nation's oldest private university, and the University of North Carolina, the nation's oldest, the nation's oldest public university. The common element in each lawsuit is the claim that both schools racially gerrymander their freshman classes by illegally raising the bar for certain racial and ethnic groups and lowering the bar for others. So the way that they're doing this is probably why it's going to get overturned because it sounds a lot like that uh, New York gun case, you know, where they were making it harder for some people and easier for others to be able to get access, uh, to be able to have the right to get a gun or carry a gun. Um, I think that that's one of the reasons it's going to be overturned because it, it's not so much that they're just selecting, they're actually like changing their qualifications based on what your race is. And it, it really seems pretty similar to the principle in, in that case. Students for Fair Admissions expert presented to the courts a hypothetical case of an Asian American male that had a 25% chance of admission. Changing the race to white would increase his admissions chances to 36%, leaving all the other factors constant. Changing the applicant's race to Hispanic boosts his chances to 77%, and changing it to African American would boost his chance of admission to 95%. And that's starting from a 25% chance for an Asian American male. So, Although Asian-American applicants to Harvard ranked above all their other racial and ethnic groups in objective measures like grades and test scores, the admission staff gives them demerits on such subjective measures of personality as lacking leadership and confidence and being less likable and kind. In a lawsuit against UNC, students for fair admissions exposed that the school is violating the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. It does so by rejecting all reasonable race-neutral alternatives, even if those alternatives would have increased the student's student bodies, overall racial diversity. So there's one other thing that they are saying that you could do. 
And this is where you could actually find the solution here. But once again, you might have some private institutions here. There's people essentially, they're running businesses. They're selling people educations. Uh, so I don't know how you control this. But Students for Fair Admissions has demonstrated that eliminating legacy preferences, preferences for the children of faculty and staff, and preferences for the children of wealthy donors, while giving a greater weight to students from economically disadvantaged backgrounds, would produce a diverse student body without treating students differently by race. So they're saying that you could do this in other ways. You could do it based on economic backgrounds. You could stop this whole legacy admissions thing, which is kind of ridiculous, or preferences because you work here and your kid wants to go here. So, Or if you donated a bunch of money to the school, and then you get preference after that. And you could actually still get the same diversity. So anyway, I think that they're going to end up overturning this, and I don't know how far it's going to go, but I think it's an overall good thing for the country. So that's why I look at it as a white pill. It's just going to take some time before they do the ruling. Here's another thing, and this is a tricky one. I'm sure you've seen people upset on Twitter. I guess we'll go back to Elon Musk's Twitter. Right now, the word on the street is that they're going to charge $8 a month for verification. So you get your little blue check mark. I don't know what it's going to look like afterwards, but they're talking about charging eight bucks a month to get that. And people are upset. They're very upset because we've got kind of a class system on Twitter. And I'm not exactly sure that I, I'll be honest here. I'm not exactly sure that I disagree with it from a business standpoint. There could be something to say for, okay, these are the somewhat uh, public figures or famous people or whoever. You can see who they are because of their blue check mark. And you kind of go there to see what those people are seeing and they're really driving the conversations and you go to see what these public figures are saying about stuff in the same way that we'll turn on a TV to see what public figures are saying about things. There could be a marketing point to giving that to public figures. Well, Musk wants to get rid of that. People are pretty upset about it. A bunch of people on the left saying that there's no way that they're going to pay for it. Uh, Trevor Noah made some ridiculous comments about it. I want to know what you guys think about it because I'm still trying to formulate my opinions on it. Anyone in the live group, you want to say anything or you could send me an email, nate at goodmorningliberty.us because I'm, I'm trying to figure this out. And it's not for us to figure out, but there's a lot of debate on the subject right now. I can understand being disappointed if you're someone with a blue check mark and now, what, everyone's going to have it? That's like blue check mark inflation. That makes your blue check mark not worth anything anymore. And that's essentially what we're going to go through on, on Twitter, it looks like. I think there's benefits to doing this uh, because it kind of does remove this class system that we have and it stops saying that, well, the words of this person are more important than the words of this person because they've been somehow made it to a, a public figure status. They needed to get verified. And so I totally get that idea for sure. Plus, we don't have a blue check mark on Twitter and I'm kind of pumped about being able to pay eight bucks a month to get one. But... It's not going to be as cool anymore because everyone can get can pay eight bucks to get it. So, you know, do you really want it after that? I've already not had it this whole time. Well, they're talking about making it uh, you can have better priority in replies, you know, better reach and different features, stuff like that, similar to what Twitter Blue is right now. I'm worried that this isn't going to work out very well for Musk and Twitter. Because a lot of the left, from what I can tell, it's mainly people on the left. I think they've become entitled to this. 
they be, they become entitled to their class system where they get to be above everyone else and they get to say the most important things and then all the non-blue check marks just get to comment and complain about it on the in their comments but they've got that blue check so they're, they're like an authority figure and i think that evening the playing field is something that people on the left are not going to like and what i'm worried uh, another side of that is that they've been using this for free for a long time they got their blue check mark for free for a long time and now the idea that you know, they were already mad that Elon Musk was taking it over because that's the uh, end of democracy and this is authoritarianism and stuff like that. Well, are they really going to put their credit card information and their PayPal or whatever on Twitter and pay money directly to Elon Musk so they can have that verification? So I'm a little worried about what that process is going to look like. But I do see why this is important. The other thing is, um, it's a good way to filter out the bots. If you're going to give priority to people who have these checks, um, that's one thing. And then also bots and people running bot farms with thousands of fake accounts trying to drive narratives. Uh, they're not going to pay eight bucks a month for uh, their bots to be verified. And plus, they probably wouldn't make it through the verification process. So... It's one way. There's been some ridiculous comments on it, and I'm going to reserve most of those for Dumb Bleep of the Week. Um, uh, one I'll mention real quick. AOC said that, uh, you know, the free, this is what free speech looks like. It looks like a, a monthly subscription. It's just kind of ridiculous. You know, you pay for your cell phone plan and your internet and your cell phone and everything else that you're using. And yes, Tom is completely right. I'm You outed me really quickly there. I just want to date her. That's really it. Uh, that's, yeah, I'll have to move past that. So anyway, let me know what y'all think about Twitter. I think it's going to be a good thing overall for the public discourse. I do, though, I I don't want to just have an echo chamber. And so I know Musk is thinking about all this, and he's gonna he's got it all worked out in his mind. I wouldn't want to just create a right-wing echo chamber, and then we have a left-wing echo chamber, and then none of us ever talk at all. Even though sometimes the talking, most of the time, the talking seems pointless. Um, I think it's good for both people, both sides, and there's fine people on both sides, uh, to both be on the same platform. I know there's more than two sides, by the way. It's mainly a libertarian show, but you know the thing. All right, so um, the last thing, and I'm glad I'm, I'm actually, it looks like I'm actually going to be able to make this a quick episode today. That's good because it's currently 77 degrees in this office. I've got HVAC problems here as well. Here's my, uh, here's my thermometer right there. 77 degrees in this room right now. I got to get out of here. That's terrible, man. I got to get to the other room because it's like 75.5 in that room over there. It's like a refrigerator, essentially. So... The Washington Post, this is an opinion piece, but opinion pieces matter because they still post it and it's still, they, you know, you kind of grace a piece a little bit, even though it's an opinion piece, by posting it on your website. And they got a lot of readers that wouldn't agree with this. In fact, you know, actually a lot of them probably do, but I'm glad they're saying it. They, George Will says, for the good of the country, Biden and Harris should bow out of the 2024 election. I will remind you, this is a piece in the 
Washington Post. Okay. So he says, during this autumn's avalanche of political news, an enormous boulder bounced by, barely noticed. It demonstrated why Joe Biden should not seek another term. Democrats should promptly face the fact, that fact, and this one. An Everest of evidence shows that Vice President Harris is starkly unqualified to be considered as his successor. The boulder? Meeting recently with some progressive activists, Biden said his $426 billion student loan forgiveness was accomplished by a law that he had just signed. And he even said, I got it passed by a vote or two. And the author says, no, he did not. Biden was not merely again embellishing his achievements and he wasn't stuttering, which is what people on the left say to make excuses. This is, this is him clearly just not knowing what's going on. He says, this is not just another of his verbal fender benders. There is no less than dismaying explanation for his complete confusion. What vote? Who voted? There was no vote. It didn't happen. After repeated unilateral extensions of the moratorium on loan, payment, loan payments until election season, Biden unilaterally implemented the windfall for millions of voters. Congress was not involved in this cataract of money from the Treasury in violation of the Constitution's Appropriations Clause. It is frightening that Biden does not know or remember what he recently did regarding an immensely important policy. He must be presumed susceptible to future episodes of similar bewilderment. Yes, there are a lot of episodes of bewilderment. So should his vice president. Oh, he says he should leave the public stage on January 20th, 2025. So should his vice president. Transcripts of her verbal meanderings cannot convey their eerie strangeness. Videos of them should be watched. Meanwhile, here are her Proustian thoughts about broadband in Louisiana. I'll put this quote on the stage for it. On the stage. Gosh, I can't think today. They should leave the public stage. This is just on a PowerPoint presentation right now. Here's our VP. The governor and I... And they're, they're even hard to read. The governor and I, and we were all doing a tour of the library here and talking about the significance of the passage of time, right? The significance of the passage of time. So when you think about it, there is great significance to the passage of time in terms of what we need to do to lay these wires, what we need to do to create these jobs. And there is such great significance to the passage of time when we think about a day and the life of our children. VP Kamala Harris. That's good. And what about her thoughts on the Inflation Reduction Act? Some of her favorite stuff. What's her favorite part? I have a particular fondness, I must tell you, for electric school buses. I love electric school buses. I really do. I've been on these electric school buses. 25 million children in our country every day go to school on diesel-fueled school buses and hundreds, thousands of school bus drivers are driving those buses, which are then these people, these children, these adults are inhaling what is toxic air. Compelling and rich. Here's Harris at an international conference. We will work together and continue to work together to address these issues, to tackle these challenges 
and to work together as we continue to work operating from the new norms, rules, and agreements that we will convene to work together. She then added, we will work together. All right. That's pretty good. I like it. And what about on the uh, what about on the border? Is the border secure? We've played this one before. We have a secure border in that that is a priority for any nation, including ours and our administration. So just in case you're wondering, the border is secure because that is a priority for any nation, including our nation and the administration. So the border is secure. Of course it is. She sounds like someone giving the book report on a book she has not read. That is a great description. Someone giving the book report on a book she has not read. Lacking natural talent, she needs to prepare, but evidently doesn't. Complacency and arrogance make a ruinous compound. The Democratic Party faces two tests of stewardship. It's they basically say that I like it. Biden is not just past his prime. Even adequacy is in his past. And this is Harris's prime. Now, why is all of that a white pill? Because these are the people running the country, kind of. I don't know. They're just people that go out and give speeches. Why is all that a white pill? Because this is posted in the Galdern Washington Post for all the libs to read. We are, we are getting to a point where people, I, I hope, we're getting to a point where people are sick of faking it. They're like, okay, this is kind of getting serious. You know, it was fun. It was fun for a little bit to pretend here for a while. And there's still going to be a lot of people that are going to pretend like everything is fine. And they're going to spout all democratic talking points. But there is quickly coming a time where people are saying, okay, screw it. I can't fake it anymore. These people are nuts. Yeah. Affirmative action sucks. I don't like it. This is causing a bunch of problems. Um, my house just got robbed uh, for sure. There, there's all sorts of issues. I can't afford to pay my rent anymore and I'm over it. Uh, my virtue signal, I can't even wave it anymore because it got so expensive to wave the damn thing that I can't even lift it up anymore. So that's the point that I think we've made it to. We're getting to right now. And that gives me hope for the future. Now, you could say that, well, the polls are making it look like a Republican-controlled House and potentially Republican-controlled Senate. And that's a white pill also. It's a tiny, tiny white pill. And we'll talk more about that actually next Wednesday. We will know the results of the election and it will be white pill Wednesday. And we will decide whether or not that is actually a white pill. What I will say right now to any Republicans listening to this show, hold their feet to the Galdern fire. And I think I said this, I've said this several times in the past, hold their Galdern feet to the fire. How many times did we see them vote to repeal Obamacare when they couldn't do anything. We know that that was all meaningless. When they actually had more power, they didn't do it. Hold their feet to the fire and realize, here's what I really want to see. Do not create any more powers for the government. Only work on decreasing powers for the government. That is what I want to see. We have an opportunity to prevent a more blown out budget than what we have right now. And so that is a white pill. Maybe we won't have all of the radical climate legislation, stuff like that, like what we've seen. Maybe we won't have more Inflation Production Acts coming 
over the next couple of years. And so that's a good thing. So as we lead up to that election, you can keep that in mind. Not going to tell anyone how to vote. We maybe we'll talk more about this on Monday. There's a little bit of uh, dust up going on with libertarians and what happened in Arizona. I think I'll talk about that with Charlie tomorrow. I'm not sure if it qualifies as a white pill for me. But that's what I got today. All right. It's super hot in this office. Now it's 78.3. It was 77 when I held the thing up here earlier. So there's a few white pills for you. It's not all bad. If you enjoyed today's show or any of the other ones, make sure you subscribe, tell a friend, tell a family member, share this with as many people as you can. That is how we're going to grow. It's through you sharing this, even hitting like, commenting on any of our social media that we have. That tells the algorithms that they need to push us just a little bit more. Uh, we've got a lot more really great interviews coming up. I'm pumped about that. Uh, more details on those to come. And everything's looking great. Charlie is supposed to be back tomorrow. Thank God. Right? Right, Costco? I know that you're pumped about it. All right, everyone. If you do all of that stuff that I just said, and I don't even remember what it was, but I just said it, and it was a thing that I said, and because I said those things, I think it's important to remember them because I said them. And so if you do those things that I said, then I'll be right back here again tomorrow. And until then, have a good day and a good morning, Liberty.